But let me just say, my name is Shad Wickstrom, I'm the lead pastor here. If you're a guest with us, we're so glad that you're here this morning. Uh, we welcome you to be a part of what God is doing here at Pursuit because we believe that he is growing his family and he has not stopped doing that. Do you believe that this morning? Well, if you have a wonder about it, you're going to get an eyewitness testimony of how God is still at work in the middle of all of this. So uh, again, buckle up. This has been an incredible series and, and just celebrating what God is doing uh, I do want to say hi to everybody watching online. We know that many people are still online. Uh, we invite you to come and be with us in person. Uh, we are carrying forward in this season. We've been given a great space to spread out in and uh, a great ventilation system. And we're still uh, conscientious and aware of what's going on around us. But we, we believe God has created a way for us to come together in person. And we're going to keep doing that. Is that okay with you guys? Yes, okay, well, we invite you to come join us if you're watching online. We've got a place for you. Okay, so we're in our third week of the series entitled Endgame. And this is the second part of the book of Daniel. The first part, we explored the stories of a man who was living in a country foreign to his own, living strangely as a stranger in a foreign country, not knowing the practices, having to learn them and understand them and understand his culture and still serve God. In this part of Daniel, we see God has revealed to him the future. That's a pretty bold claim, right? God has revealed to someone the future. And we have been looking at that and we have been seeing week to week how God has orchestrated the events of history and there is no more compelling fact and truth about the Bible and about the Christian faith than the fact that God has told the future and he has brought it to pass. And we dig into that a little bit deeper as we look at the rest of the story of Daniel. We see God's answer, again looking at this apocalyptic eschatological, futuristic view of this time in history with an eye to God's answer to the problem of evil and how that problem is going to be solved. So whenever we're looking at the future, what we're latching onto is the truth that God has made a plan and he's going to bring it to pass. And then what does it mean to be a people who maintain hope and a way of life that says Jesus is King of Kings? Would you just make that declaration right now? You don't have to do it to a neighbor today. Just do it out loud. Jesus is King of Kings. Now whether or not you believe that is irrelevant. It's truth. And you need to know that. Jesus is King of Kings and he is still on the throne. So as we begin, I want you to just, I want you to close your eyes. Don't go to sleep. Today is not a day you're going to be able to anyway, because there's some crazy, exciting, amazing stuff. But I want you to close your eyes and imagine with me for this, mo just a moment. Indulge me just for a moment. Nothing weird or freaky is going to happen. I just want you to use your imagination and focus. You're in a hurry. Raise your hand if you've ever felt like you were in a hurry. Raise your, okay, we're in good company. Everybody's raising their hand. You're in a hurry to get somewhere, but the persons, your wife, your girlfriend, your boyfriend, your husband, your spouse, friends, or your kids don't share the same sense of urgency. Anybody else? Raise your hand by show of hands. Everybody been in that boat where they don't share your sense? Okay, we're all, we're all in this together this morning. Now I want you just, again, continue to imagine. Eyes closed. I know that might be a little uncomfortable. Be, bear with me. 
Think about that moment, waiting for someone. Now, what are you experiencing inside as you're waiting for those people that don't share the sense of urgency? As you're, as you're considering this, let me ask you a few questions. Are you peacefully watching the wind blow, the flowers back and forth gently in your garden? Is that your frame of mind? I wonder. Or perhaps if you're in the car, do you pull out the owner's manual and with great interest read about the option on your car that you didn't know you had? Maybe you're in a little bit different frame of mind. You, do you find yourself asking the question, what's more important, being late or the people that I'm waiting for? Listen to this. We're going to get serious here in a moment. Everybody look up. If God can watch the world destroy itself and his creation and peacefully sit back, perhaps we can show a little more patience when things that we see in the world aren't going quite as we thought they should. You might be amazed at what God chooses to give you in a moment like that if you make that choice and rather than stress out and get angry, you trust in him. There's a story from the 1800s I want to share as we get started this morning of a young couple named William and Elizabeth. They were madly in love and they were engaged to be married. Again, this is from the 1800s. Elizabeth was ecstatic and she just couldn't wait to begin planning their life together and she jumped right into it. But William, on the other hand, knew that it was only a matter of time before he was called away to sea to foreign lands to fight enemies on other uh, frontiers. So he tries to prepare Elizabeth for this real possibility that one day he would have to leave, but she doesn't pay attention. She is excited about what is coming. He tries to prepare, but she just doesn't get it. The day comes. William is to set sail on that Saturday, so he prepares to leave. Elizabeth, of course, is distraught, but William makes her this promise. He says, I promise I will come back for you, and when I do, we will be married then. And so William goes to war, and Elizabeth is left to wait for his return, knowing that it could be numerous months, many, many months before he returns, if he returns at all. Months pass. There's no sign of William's ship. And news finally reaches Elizabeth that William's ship was lost in a storm. And there's no further news of William. The battle had been won and the ship was on its way home and it sank on the journey home. Elizabeth remembers William's promise to return, but as time passes, her life moves on, understandably. And 10 years later, 10 years later, finally... As she's moved on, she meets someone else and is married. Meanwhile, William was not dead. He was alone on a deserted island. Food was abundant and he was able to prosper on the island, which was a paradise. And he made plans for one day he wanted to return with Elizabeth to live on this paradise island that he had discovered. One problem was nobody knew where he was. So he waited and he waited looking for the day when he could return to fulfill his promise to Elizabeth. Finally, 23 years later, 
the island was discovered. William was able to return to his homeland and find Elizabeth for what he thought was a, a long-awaited, promised return and reunion. He returns as he's promised, but much later, of course, than was expected, and Elizabeth has moved on. And so while William gathers up his extended family and his brothers and sisters, his nie uh, nephews and nieces, and, and prepares to take them back to this island paradise, Elizabeth is left behind to regret not waiting for William's promise to be fulfilled. I believe our waiting for Jesus is much like Elizabeth's waiting for William. Jesus has promised that he will return He's been to war against the enemy of our souls and he has won the battle, but he's not been shipwrecked. He has not been thwarted. Contrary to the negative voices which are seeking to discourage all of us, Jesus will return. He is coming. And for those of us who have faith in Jesus Christ, he is going to take us with him to the paradise he has found and created for us. My friends, Jesus is coming. Did you hear me? Jesus is coming. This series is so important. If we don't keep the end game in mind and return to eternal perspective and we find ourselves being consumed with the worries of this world and, and the things that are going on, we lose hope. This, this series has been all about keeping us focused on the hope that is real, not a false hope in a, in a cure for cancer or in a cure for COVID or vaccines or whatever. It's not a false temporary hope. It's a true hope that lasts for eternity, and that's why this series is so important. You have to know that God has written the rest of the story, and it is good. Everything sad is coming untrue. Would you now turn to your neighbor and say that? Everything sad is coming untrue, just again because it's fun to say. Everything sad is coming untrue. The main idea of the message this morning as we now dig into Daniel 9 is a call to live on mission while his perfect timing unfolds. That's the main focus of today. Let's pray as we get ready to dig into Daniel chapter 9. Father, this moment is so important and significant for us who are here today and those of us watching online. God, I pray that your words would resonate in our hearts and minds today as we wrestle with this truth and as we celebrate new life and you growing your family. God, would you meet us in this moment? Help us to be more aware of your presence. God, you are here awakening us to truth, restoring our hearts and minds as we worship you, the one true living God, because of what you've done through your son, Jesus Christ, on our behalf. God, would you speak through me to morning? These things that we're wrestling with are, are difficult. They're hard for us to fathom. They're mysteries, too deep and wonderful for us to even get a hold of. But God, would you let us get a glimpse of true hope today as we wrestle with these truths that you gave to Daniel that still speak to us Today, would you awaken our minds, give us the mind of Christ now as we wrestle with this. In Jesus' name, amen. 
So we are in Daniel chapter 9. You can turn there in your Bibles right now. That's where we'll be for the majority of the message. And uh, also the YouVersion Bible app, not the YouTube version, but the YouVersion, right, Brian? Uh, Bible app under live events. Uh, I love Brian. Brian, I love you, man. You, you do such a great job of welcoming us and hosting us. So let's give Brian a real quick hand just because I made fun of him and I feel bad now. But hey, we're getting into Daniel 9. It's going to be awesome. It is in the YouVersion Bible app under live events. All the verses that we're going to be referring to outside of Daniel 9 if you're, if you're there. And we're going to stand together and read these seven verses out loud. I'm going to read them so you can hear them, but we're going to stand together. Um, we are going to get into the other parts of Daniel um, contextually to understand this focus this morning. And then we're going to come back to Daniel 9 later uh, John Howarth is going to preach on the prayer of Daniel here following the Endgame series the first Sunday after that. So we're going to have a different focus on this passage here in verses 20 through 27. It says this, Daniel says, While I was speaking and praying, confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel and making my request to the Lord, my God, for his holy hill, while I was still in prayer, Gabriel, the man I had seen in the earlier vision, the weird visions, the dreams that he's been having, came to me in a swift flight about the time of the evening sacrifice. He instructed me and said to me, Daniel, I have now come to give you insight and understanding. As soon as you began to pray, a word went out, which I have come to tell you, for you are highly esteemed. Therefore, consider the word and understand the vision. Pay close attention to verse 24, really critical verse. It has confounded philosophers, theologians, uh, Bible students uh, for 2,500 years. Verse 24, 70 sevens are decreed for your people and your holy city, rather, to finish transgressions, to put an end to sin, to atone for wickedness, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy place. No one understand this. From time the word goes out to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until the anointed one, the ruler comes, there will be sevens, seven sevens, and 62 sevens. It will be built with streets in a trench, but in times of trouble. After the 62 sevens, the anointed one will be put to death and will have nothing. The people of the ruler who will come will destroy the city and the sanctuary. The end will come like a flood. War will continue till the end, and des desolations have been decreed. He will confirm a covenant with many for one seven in the middle of the seven he will put an end to the sacrifice and offering and at the temple he will set an abomination that causes desolation until the end that is decreed uh, is poured out on him may god bless the reading of his word you may be seated there okay so we're still in this uh strange and unusual sort of language that's being used i, I you know it'd be nice if he just said well in 3,400 days, right, we'll know something's going to happen. But no, he uses this weird and cryptic language that we're going to dig into uh, a little bit today. As we begin this morning, let me just start by reading another very important verse that grounds everything that we're going to be talking about in the adventure of trying to understand God's timing and God's plan and his purposes. Look at this verse, Ecclesiastes 3.11. He, that is God, 
has made everything, everything, everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the human heart. Notice this. What does he say? Yet some people who have the gift of of great intellect and understanding... Some people who have devoted themselves to years and years of study and understanding, right? What does he say there? Who can fathom? No one can fathom what he has done from beginning to end. My friends, if you are uncomfortable with the mystery of God and his vastness, you're not living in reality because not one human being can fully understand God and what he has done from beginning to end. But we can jump in and wrestle with these things with the end game in mind, knowing that he has promised to make everything beautiful in its time. So I would say to you, it's much easier to understand his end game than his timing. So that's where we're going to land today. That's where we've landed on this series. It's, we know the end game. And it's curious and fun and exciting to kind of investigate the other aspects of it. So I don't want to shut that down for any of you that like to do that more so than others. But know that the end game is a settled matter. So the world we know is moving toward the destination of God's coming judgment. Sin and evil will not go unchecked and unpunished. That time is coming. The Bible is very clear about it. The question is, are we there yet? Are we there yet? Would you turn to your neighbor real quick and say, are we there yet? Are we there yet? Is he there yet? Will he get to his point? Come on, let's get to the baptisms, right? <laughs> We're going to get there tonight, today, but uh, not tonight, today. We're going to get there today, this morning, I promise. But let's, let's wrestle with this Daniel 9 passage and just soak in it for a little bit. The chapter reveals some important things to us about God's plan for his chosen nation, Israel. Okay, so we need to understand that that's where the message is delivered. That's who he's speaking to in this context. The nation of Israel, his chosen people, chosen not because they're any better than any other people on the planet, chosen because God, out of his divine understanding and wisdom, made a plan to reveal himself and his design for life through the nation of Israel, not chosen because they earned it or deserved it. In fact, if you read the Old Testament, you know that they blew it time and time and time and time and time and are still blowing it time again. Anybody who doesn't understand that is not giving an honest an intellectually honest reading of the scripture. So there's no, there's no chosenness based on credibility or, or, or credentialing. What we find here is that Daniel reveals God's plan for Israel. There's four basic things that we see here in this book. One, Babylonian captivity would end soon. Israel's kingdom, secondly, would not be restored immediately. Third, that a coming Messiah would have to die. And fourth, that Israel was going to face great trouble before the kingdom would be established. And so again, our main focus is Daniel 9, 20 through 27, particularly verse 24, is what we have time for today. So let's understand this part of the story. Let's do a little bit of of Bible study here, observing the text well that we're looking at, Daniel 9. The chronology or the timeline of his prayer is really important here. In verse 1 it says, In the first year of Darius, in the first year of Darius, son of Xerxes, a Mede by descent, who was made ruler over the Babylonian kingdom. So we know that this prayer is happening in the first year of King Darius' reign. 
And this revelation takes place 13 years after Daniel 8, which we looked at last week. So then Daniel 8 occurs in 551 B.C., and because we're counting the clock backwards to Christ's birth, we're now in Daniel 1, which occurred about 539 B.C., which was the year of the reign of Darius. Daniel, we know, is in his 80s, approximately in his 80s at this point in time, and the captivity of the nation of Israel, or those that were still remaining, the remnant, began in 605 B.C. So we have this, 605 from 539 B.C. About how many years is that? Work with me. I, I know I'm asking a lot to do some math this morning. It is about roughly 66-some-odd years that they've been in captivity. So we read here in Daniel 9, Daniel was in prayer for his people, the Israelites, while he was speaking and praying and confessing his sin in verse 20, the sin of his people, Israel, making his request to the Lord for uh, God for his holy hill. So what do you think Daniel might be thinking about if they've been in captivity 60 years? Anybody that's been reading the Daniel might start to have a clue what's coming up in his heart. He knew because he had been reading Jeremiah, that the prophecy was that they would be in Babylonian captivity for 70 years. He's starting to do the math in his mind. Hey, we're getting close here. Something's getting ready to happen. 66 years we've been in captivity. I'm going to start praying for God to move. He's literally counting down the days until the captivity over is over. And he's probably thinking about what is God going to do? He's thinking maybe he's going to bring his kingdom in that he promised to King David. The lineage of David would bring about God's kingdom where God would finally come and reign and rule in a theocracy on earth. And, and he believed that that's probably what was going to happen. But what he found out was a little bit different. God had some other things in mind. The Messiah was going to come but he wouldn't come in that moment. There was more in store for Israel, more that needed to be fulfilled in prophecy. But God wanted Daniel, the Israelites, and us to know parts of that plan. And that's what he reveals. The text that Daniel was reading from Jeremiah 29, verses 10 through 14, it's a familiar, famous passage for anybody that's been in, in church any amount of time. You've heard parts of this passage. But here's the context. Daniel's praying, and he's reading Jeremiah, and this is what's inspiring his prayer. It says this, When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my gracious promise to bring you back to this place. Listen up. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. Then, then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord. I will bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and places where I have banished you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back to the place from which I carried you into exile. Daniel is confident God is about to bring change. And so he prays. He prays, God, please bring that change now. He's praying in line with God's will. My friends, when we pray in line with God's will, we are never more powerful in our prayers. 
That's why it is so important to be informed by what God's word has to say to us when we pray. So there's a shift of the focus in the story. The first part of Daniel, again, is the story of the Gentile exile, the exile in Gentile lands in Babylon. It was written in a different language, in fact, Aramaic, which was the language of the Babylonians. And now in verse or chapter 8, it begins to be written in Hebrew, which is the language of God's people. There's a shift not only in the language and the audience there, but in the content and context. So the focus for the day, here it is. He began to pray when he's interrupted. And it says that in verse 21. While I was still in prayer, Gabriel, the man I had seen in earlier visions, came to me in a swift flight about the time of the evening sacrifice. He instructed me and said to me, Daniel, I've now come to give you insight and understanding. As soon as you began to pray, a word went out, which I have come to tell you, for you are highly esteemed. Therefore, consider the word and understand the vision. So we see here, Six divine transactions, which we'll cover quickly, for God's people to be looking for and to. In verse 24, back to that focus verse that I think is really critical in this passage. Uh, this has been, again, debated by many theologians and scholars over 2,500 years as they've engaged with this. But it says again, 77s are decreed for your people and for your holy city to... Finish transgression, put an end to sin, atone for witness, uh, wickedness, bring in everlasting righteousness, and seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy place. Again, he gives that obscure time frame, 77s. And I would say there are many who have speculated as to the exact nature of this timing and with some very good rationale and reasons for concluding as they have. Some of those timelines have compelling accuracy in line with historical events in past, present, and potentially near in our lifetime. But the whole point of this, and I want you to get this, please hear me now, hear definitively the substance and the most important element of this message. God knows where his story, history, is headed. God knows where his story is headed. This period of time was the time to elapse before the accomplishment of six great achievements for the holy city and for God's covenant people. The first of those relate to the removal of sin, and the second three are the restoration of righteousness. Really, God is moving history to restore Eden, to restore paradise. Paradise that was lost, God is now in the midst of unfolding a plan to redeem paradise. These six transactions are the things that we are watching for as God's people as they unfold. To finish the transgression, let's look at that a little bit more uh, specifically. To finish the transgression, that word transgression is a Hebrew word that essentially means rebellion. It's a part of the definition of sin, rebellion against God. My friends, I believe that when Jesus was rejected by the nation of Israel to whom this prophecy was delivered, when they rejected him, they completed that transgression of ultimate rebellion of God's design. Therefore, they rejected 
their humanity, they rejected God's purposes for life. Rebellion versus missing the mark, very critical there. Also, the second transaction, put an end to sin. Sin is essentially the, the word that means missing the mark as opposed to rebellion. Transgression, sin is missing the mark, missing God's design. It will no longer be a part of the human experience. God has intended to put an end to sin, to that which breaks us in relationship with him and with others. That, my friends, I believe is still yet to come because you and I miss the mark every day, do we not? We miss the mark every day. That is part of what is still yet to come. The third transaction we see there that is to happen, there will be an atonement for wickedness. There is only one way that the price that needs to be paid for our sin could be paid, and that is if God himself would come and take the price. And my friends, I am excited to announce to you today that that is done. When Jesus hung and, and, and said, on, when he's on the cross and he said, it is finished, my friends, there is no more work to be done. Jesus finished the work to atone for our brokenness, our sin, past, present, and future. That work is done. Praise God. The fourth transaction that we see here that is happening or is to happen is to bring in everlasting righteousness, an eternal reality of right living, not just temporary glimpses that we get in a moment, like when we're singing this morning and, and we feel like we're touching heaven and heaven is touching us and we get this glimpse and then we open our eyes or, or we look around and we realize, whoa, we're still here on planet Earth. Oh, COVID's still here. Oh, I've got to go work tomorrow. Oh, but we got a glimpse today, and that's why we come together. We get a glimpse of God's goodness, his everlasting righteousness that's, that's coming our way, and maybe more quickly than ever. But the eternal, everlasting righteousness is still yet to come. We still live in a broken world. We're on heaven. I mean, we're on earth, and, and we want heaven, right? God is promising he's bringing in an everlasting righteousness. Fifth transaction, he's going to seal up vision and prophecy. That's another thing that's unfolding. The final consummation of God's plan resulting in Jesus receiving all authority, glory, and power. Still unfolding, even as he was anointed king and died on the cross. His final anointing, when he comes as a lion of Judah and rules and reigns. He was a lamb that was slain. But my friends, the lion is roaring. And he will be coming to bring in that everlasting righteousness for us to live under his design and remove sin. That sixth transaction that we see there is he is anointing the most holy place, God's eternal dwelling place established in relation to his creation. Now we learn as believers in Jesus that when we give our lives to Jesus, the Spirit of God dwells within us. We are now the temple of God. Is that not amazing? God resides within us and with us. And when we come together, we get to experience his presence. And it can be in a gym, in a church building, out in the desert, in the jungle. It does not have to be in the temple. His most holy place right now, in part, is within believers. 
But there will come a day where his eternal dwelling place in relationship to a new heaven and a new earth will be set in place for eternity. Hebrews 9, 11 through 14 gives us some insight on this. And we're going to wrap up here. We're very close. Stay with me uh, because the best is yet to come. We got these waters and they're still warm, I promise you, and we're going to get to them. Let's finish this up. Stay with me as we come into a landing here. Hebrews 9, 11 through 14. When Christ came as high priest of the good things that are now already here, he went through the greater and more perfect tabernacle that is not made with human hands, that is to say is not part of this creation. He did not enter by means of the blood of goats and calves, but he entered the most holy place once for all by his own blood, thus obtaining eternal redemption. My friends, that is good news for us today. The blood of the goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkled on those who were ceremonially unclean sanctify them so they are outwardly clean. How much more than will the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God cleanses our conscience from acts that lead to death so we may serve the living God. Amen and amen. The end game is a fixed and determined thing. God has an end game that will not be thwarted. So has this timetable started? The question that a lot of you are, is where are we? Are we there? Are we there yet? Where's, where are we in the time? What's your answer? Well, my, in my opinion, yes, the timeline is ticking. And it has, it is right now currently where I believe uh, it is, and most biblical scholars call the church age or the age of the Gentiles, where Jesus is building his church, his family, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And how do I know that? Because in just a few moments, there are people that are going to be brought into God's family through baptism, and we're going to see it in person. That's how I know it's true. He's building his church. This church is the testimony of this truth. Some have embraced a literal timeline and attempt to work out. And and there's some good thinking around that. Others see this time as a gap in those 77s. And this slide summarizes some big things that I think we're waiting for. Right now, you can see there on the far left, we're in what most and many would call the church age, the age of the Gentiles, where we get the good news of Jesus and we share it with the world. And it's in what would be considered a gap of time. It's kind of on a pause while we wait for some things to be fulfilled. There is to be expected a tribulation or seven years as a part of the 77s. And at some point in time, either before the tribulation, in the middle of the tribulation, or after the tribulation, depending on your view, you're going to get to get out of here. And I I wish I could give you an answer, but here's my answer as to when. I have a pan-trib view. And it's whenever it pans out, whatever way it pans out, it's going to pan out. And God knows, and I trust him. He's going to be ready as long as I abide and live on mission. Now, I I have a preference. I I think it's going to be pre-tribulation. I'm not going to defend all that because it's, you know, it's, it's, maybe sometime I will if you want to be, if you're interested in that, I'll tell you why I hold that view. But I, I don't think it is the most important thing for us, especially in this passage. We've got tribulation coming, the reign of Jesus coming. He will come as the Lion of Judah as he came as the Lamb who was slain. And there will be an eternity with a new heaven and a new earth. And my friends, those are the critical essentials that we're looking for. 
that we're paying attention to. And there are places in the Bible that point us to certain perspectives on that. But let me just return to this this morning. In your notes, Jesus will return in perfect time. And I know maybe some of you were coming today hoping that I would tell you that it's going to be March 13th or whatever. Hey, I'm on board if it is. But meanwhile, what, what do we do as believers while we're waiting and as we're studying and as we're watching and praying? We come back to our main idea, my friends. Live on mission. Don't stand back and watch history unfold. God is calling his people now, even as we see the time approaching even more so, to live on mission, to be a part of him growing his family while his perfect timing unfolds. So what? Real quickly, takeaways. How should we then live? My friends, you need to trust Jesus with your eternal destiny if you've not done that. Acts 4.12 says this, Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. If you have not given your life to Jesus Christ today, can be your day. You could actually even be baptized this morning. Trust Jesus with your eternal destiny. That's your first important takeaway. Secondly, my friends, and you, you hear, hopefully you, you're tired of hearing me say this, and I almost don't need to say it, I hope, by now. But in light of all that's going on, believers and those who are outside the faith, you, faith, you may not know this, but you're designed to live on mission in an abiding life. John 15 my favorite passage, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do, excuse me, you can do nothing. We remain in God by abiding in loving God through worship, serving people, following Jesus' example, and populating heaven, building his church, growing his family. That's what we do when we abide. That's what you're called to. Matthew 24, 14, and this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then, and then the end will come. And then the end will come. The gospel has gone throughout the world, but it has not reached all nations. There is still mission to accomplish. And that mission we know, and we're getting ready to observe and experience today, is to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Um, right now, I'd like to dismiss those or release those to go get ready to be baptized this morning. So if that's you, uh, you will meet our baptisms hosts right out there and get changed. So right now, on your mark, get set, go. I have a few other words to say to those who are are still here. Again, the main idea, friends, live on mission while his perfect timing unfolds. Live on mission while his perfect timing unfolds. I want to just invite you, if you've not given your life to Jesus Christ, today is an opportunity for you to do that if you've not done so. And the Bible's clear. We need to understand a few things. Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And the wages of that sin is death in Romans 6.23. 
But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ. So what do we do? We declare with our mouth, according to Romans 10, Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead and you will be saved. So if you would bow with me right now as we go to the Lord in prayer, if you have not given your life to Jesus Christ, now is your opportunity to do that. I would love to just lead you in a prayer of response and if that's you today and, and you want to do that and you want to be baptized, we're ready for you. We've got some t-shirts, change. You can, you can get in there in, in the clothes that you're in and we'll help you get change of clothes to be baptized with those who are going public with their faith today. But if that's you, let's begin just by praying. You pray this prayer with me. Again, these are words to shepherd you, to pastor you, to encourage you, to articulate what's going on in your heart and mind as God is stirring in you. But you might pray something like this, God, I know I'm sinful and I realize my good works would never make up for my wrongs. I need your forgiveness. I believe you died for my sins and I wanna turn away from them right now. I trust you now to be my Lord and my Savior. And with your help, I will follow you as my leader in the fellowship and friendship of your church, of your family. With every head bowed, every eye closed, if, if you're here today and you prayed that with me for the first time, would you just put your hand up and let me know so I can pray with you? Anybody here this morning? If you're watching online and you prayed that with me, please let us know in the comments or send us a, an email. Let us know we want to pray for you and encourage you, walk with you in your journey as well. The Father, for the rest of us as believers in Jesus, we thank you for the goodness of your story in our lives. We thank you for the difficult things that make us uncomfortable and cause us to grow, to not remain complacent. We thank you for the good things that we get to celebrate, glimpses of heaven on earth even today. We thank you for that. We pray all these things in Jesus' name.